everyone and welcome back to and what did we learn thank you for being patient because i know that i did not post an episode uh, within the past week so this one is coming out fresh for you today i'm recording it today the 16th and i'm planning to release it today as well it's just me baby um i have a really 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 exciting surprise for the upcoming episode you guys molly fucking mcalear agreed to come on my podcast (laughs) I'm terrified, but I'm really excited because I she's my favorite podcaster slash just an awesome person. I'm really excited. I've I've tried to reach out before. This is the first time it worked. So uh, persistence pays off, I suppose. So please, please check your feed tomorrow, Monday the 17th, because I will be posting my yet to happen conversation with malls. And it's going to be a little bit different. We are going to be talking about instead of a visual media we're talking about written media and i don't want to give too much away but malls and i and i i know this because she's mentioned it a few times on her pod um and it's what i reached out about we both growing up had parents who decided to give us this book called where did i come from if you don't know it if you're not sure if you know it, you definitely don't know it because if you know if you had that book, you remember because there's a lot, guys. It's pretty, uh, it's funny but also upsetting. Um, there's a reason it lives with us. <laughs> so I actually ordered the book. It's out of print, which I'm fine with, um, but I ordered it, and we're gonna go deep dive into that sucker. So please su- come on and listen. Let everybody know. Um, anybody who's a Malls fan can come listen because she's going to be on my show. Oh my God. Okay. Now, moving on. Today, we are talking about intervention. Um, I wasn't going to say yay because I love the show and I know everybody likes, well, most people, my sister doesn't, but most people like the episodes that I do about intervention. Um, my sister likes me. She just, the intervention gets too dark for her. I should clarify. Um, <laughs> hi, Jen. Um, but I love covering it. Um, It's a really vital piece of media, I think. Um, And I learned a lot from it. So hence it being on my show about learning. Um, This episode is from the new season. I'm trying to hit these new episodes because I know they're easier to access for most folks. Um, And also it's exciting. It's a new season and most of it takes place in Vegas. Apparently not all of it, which I found surprising. Um, But the bulk of it takes place in Vegas, which as we know, and as I've spoken about on um, other episodes from this season, you know, the Vegas of it all adds a whole other level. This is episode, excuse me for making mouth noises. I'm so sorry. Episode six from this current season 22, Lexi. So it, uh, it's from this year and you can find it on A&E com and i'm sure if you have on demand it's available because it just aired on i don't know a few weeks ago so lexi is a gal 
that um, had a really shaky childhood, not in the sense that there was abuse that I know of, that any of us know of, but that it was quite literally um, just unpredictable. So her family moved to Vegas when she was um, pretty young. And it's not just that they moved because they were like, well, the business, there's more business opportunities there, which is why they moved. Okay, that's fine. But they struggled. And so they ended up hopping from motel to motel. And by that point, Lexi's sister was old enough to not live with the family anymore. So it was really just Lexi bouncing around hotel to hotel, feeling pretty left alone and lost. And I believe because her parents were working so hard to try and make ends meet, you know, she was, it said, it's, it's portrayed in this episode as she was seeking a father figure. I don't, I mean, she has a father, but um, I guess she just wasn't getting support, the support that she felt she needed. And quite frankly, when you're a teenager, you need a hell of a lot of support, despite the fact that you might say you don't want it because you're pissed, you need it. So um, Lexi was sort of left to fend for herself, I think, in Vegas of all places. And she met someone, she just calls him an older man, as a teenager, so I believe probably 15, 16, who started hanging out with her and her friends. Like, that's not a dad. <laughs> that's a pervert. But I understand. I'm not blaming her because she was young and vulnerable. This person, you know, was taking advantage of her and did that, did that largely by getting her, and I assume some of her friends, hooked on heroin. Um, yeah, of all things, heroin. Woohoo! Here you go. Have a great life. Um, so by the time she was 17, she was fully addicted to heroin. And she got pregnant shortly after that and had a, had a baby who was subsequently addicted to heroin. And now she lives in this like fugue state of being enabled in the sense that her daughter's fully taken care of in a nice house, which she didn't have growing up. Her daughter, who's named Ryan, which I like, I like cute, like boy named girl, mixing the, the gender, gender bleh, mixing up the gendered names. Um, because gender is far too emphasized in our culture. That's just my opinion. Um, and I think, I think if your little girl wants to be named Charlie, then, or Ryan or whatever, that's great. Not that they chose their name, but you know, <laughs> I'm just saying whatever equality. Um, so, <laughs> so Lexi, uh, yeah, now she lives in Vegas still she kind of hops around. Um, she has a boyfriend and that's who she lives with predominantly, but she doesn't have a home. Um, she's kind of recreating her past going to motel to motel. And we have to acknowledge that fundamentally that's something she was taught. That's how she learned to live as a child. So we can't hold that against her or be surprised that that was where, where she went with it. But of course we're all responsible for our behavior. I'm just saying I can see how that happened and felt normal to her. Whereas to me, I'd be like, what's my life is probably a mess because I'm living in hotels. But for her, that was how it always was up until a certain point. So her parents live in Vegas. They take care of Ryan. Lexi sees Ryan very infrequently despite the proximity, but that's pretty common with these kinds of situations, at least that. I mean, it, yeah, it's common. It's just a natural byproduct of being on drugs. You don't prioritize other people unless they're getting you drugs. So we do see several 
instances or maybe like three in which Lexi does interact with Ryan. The first one's more sweet because they're trying to give us this like background, you know, intervention is clever and they frame their episodes. Um, sorry if you can hear me moving around. Um, they frame their episodes in an effective way. Uh, they do it for a reason. Um, and so after we get a little bit, just a little bit of information and images of her snorting, I think crack, she said, she didn't say heroin. Um, and then we get into, um, a scene where she comes to her mother's home, her parents' home and is meant to be visiting Ryan and it does, but she comes in and she's late and they have like a couple moments together, but then we hear, I'm going to play this clip right now, but then we hear Lexi, you know, describe her addiction and it gets into like, here's the reason, like, it's not so great. Um, and I don't think it's in this clip, but the sister does talk about, um, how she, I'm trying really hard not to mix it up with a different episode, um, <laughs> how she, uh, well, the sister doesn't have a relationship with her because she, um, was on drugs while pregnant and that the sister can't reconcile that. I'm pretty sure that's true, guys. If I'm wrong and it's from another episode that I just watched last night, I apologize and I will correct myself. Um, but let's play the clip and go from there. Hey! hey. Sorry, it took so long. Hey! <laughs> my name is Lexi. I'm 27 and I live in Las Vegas, Nevada, where most of my family lives. Everybody in my family moved here like within a year of each other because all the opportunities and all the jobs. Almost everyone in my family has worked in one of the casinos or something on the Strip. My sister worked at Harris. My brother worked at the Venetian. My dad was a chef there for 25 years. Las Vegas is kind of two-faced. There's the touristy part, the Sin City part, where you can really fall deep into the rabbit hole, and then there's the other side that's beautiful and suburbs and family. Right? Be careful. Lexi has a big heart, and she is always willing to help people. I mean, for me, even on the older sisters, she would be the one to protect me. She is more of the enforcer. What happened to the boy who thinks that he's your boyfriend, but you broke up with him, but he doesn't know what happened to him? Lexi could have been good at anything and everything she wanted to be good at. Lexi had the ambitions to do cosmetology. She liked to do people's nails, hair, makeup. Mess. Makeup. She looks nice and pretty. I think Lexi would have been a good mother. I used to think she would be the best mother, but drugs got in the way. I am addicted to heroin, crystal meth, and Xanax. Using heroin, you can't even really describe the feeling. Just all like warm and floating, like just not a care in the world, like no emotions. Someone can die and you don't even cry. So I use heroin to numb myself and my feelings and I use meth to counteract, so I'm not nodding out. Lexi's using heroin and meth daily. And as much as she can get all day long. Okay, my bad, it was meth, sorry, not crack. Um, gotta keep those straight. 
And then, you know, we see lots of scenes of Lexi snorting, shooting up, just using, doing like a bong rip. And I guess, uh, you know, just all the different ways that she consumes drugs and her whole ritual with it. Like, got to keep myself high enough with the meth, but I need, I need the pleasure, you know, that depressant and the pleasure of the heroin. So I need to balance those, which is incredibly dangerous. Not like you didn't know that. I don't think I need to tell you that, but um, you, you guys, you know, uh, but it is, it is wild to see. And I have to say, I, knowing that she's been addicted to drugs for 10 years, I'm really shocked at how well put together she's able to appear. Like even for, you know, the shots where she's with just playing with her daughter, you know, it, it's, it's kind of astounding to me. I don't know if she has really good genes or if it's the methods with it, which she uses the drugs. I, I, I don't know. And it's not like, woohoo, you can do drugs and still look pretty. I'm not trying to say that. It's just, it's something that's surprising to me. So if you watch this episode, let me know if you notice the same thing. Like she, if she were walking down the street, I would not think, well, depending on, I guess her state. But if she were walking down the street looking the way she did when she visited her daughter, um, I'd be like, oh, she seems chill, you know? So it's just surprising to me, especially because of the meth use. So we see the many faces of Lexi under the influence here. They smash cut a bunch of stuff together, her behavior while using drugs. Um, and then the, they do, they talk about it a bit about how she seems psychotic. You know, meth can cause temporary or temporary and permanent psychosis when she's on it there's a shot she gets randomly violent like just like throwing shit and then or like slamming shit down on the table and then her face close up on her face and her face starts like contorting in this very strange way that your muscles would not your muscles would not do that it's like a spasm it's very strange um I, you know not i'm not judging it's just it's scary to notice and see what drugs really do to the human body. And it's always surprising to me how much we can survive. I walk around the world consistently feeling like at any moment my heart's going to stop because I have anxiety and PTSD. So it's astounding to me like to watch things like this and be like, they're still alive. And I don't know if it gives me hope or not. Like, I don't want to do drugs. It's just, (laughs) you know, aside from the legal ones that I'm prescribed and those are not hardcore. Um, you know, just mood stabilizers, but, um, you know, I just, I understand why they have to show all of those scenes, but I do always feel a little bit bad because it is your choice to put the drug in your system, but, and to be filmed, but you're, you're not really in control when you're on that drug. So looking back on it, it would be like going to a, it makes me think of like going to a party in college and you're drunk and you do stupid stuff and then the next day someone's like look i have it all on video and you're just like no that's me drunk please don't remind me so that's just gotta be rough um and then we're gonna talk a little bit about lexi's quote-unquote love life and get a little bit more um tea on that so here this is her sister speaking again um there's a little bit of her dad who I guess the father figure thing makes sense because we do. It is revealed that he's an alcoholic later. Um, I don't believe they've dropped that bomb yet, but he is. He struggles with um, alcoholism, and as do many people. Um, so that, as we know, contributes because if one member of the family is an addict, 
and then they're trying to help another family member that that's an addict they're going to be like well what about person a like what about bubba over here like what the hell so you know it's kind of a i don't want to say classic it's a common um dilemma so we're going to go ahead and play a little bit about just the discussion around lexi's romantic partners i'll put it that way and here we go multi-personality can't even talk and reason it's like um the men lexi dates are older because they can provide her with money for drugs i have suspicions of what lexi does to get money for drugs you know if i'm broke and i need money then i i will resort to getting paid for sexual stuff Alexia has ended up in jail for having drugs. Alexia currently has a felony warrant out for her arrest for stealing a vehicle. I had been in jail for 90 days and I got out and I immediately went and shot up. Because I shot my neck for three years, I got a abscess in my neck the size of a baseball. I was in the hospital for nine days I've had endocarditis, which is an infection in your blood. I had 106 temperature. I almost died twice. Completely overdosed dead. My friend had to give me CPR. They broke all my ribs. Like for three months after that, I was in excruciating pain. Because I am labeled a drug addict, the hospital will not give me anything more than a Motrin. So I immediately went and picked up. Okay, so that's the vicious cycle, right? The addiction causes pain. You're already in pain, so you get addicted. Then addiction starts pain, both mental and physical. It gets worse, and then you use more and more, and then using more and more makes you worse. Um, the interesting thing to me about this is I don't get a vibe like Lexi's bragging or like she's like, this is my thing. I get to do this. I'm special because of drugs. She doesn't bother me as a person like in this moment anyway. There are parts that she does, um, but she obviously she's you know she's not living her best life but she's speaking about it like almost like an i survived episode like something happened to her and i mean it did but it was because of decisions that she made i guess is, is my point but she's talking about it like somebody who survived like a shark attack or somebody who got cancer and was almost dead and then you know recovered as opposed to someone who's willingly putting this in their own body so I think that's part of the dilute, like, I'm not saying she's lying or she's whatever, but I do think that's the delusion that you have to be under in order to continue using those drugs. Because yeah, it's you, there's no care in the world when you have it in your system, but when you don't and you have like a goiter or whatever, abscess and you're almost dying, it's a conscious decision to be like, that's the answer. And I'm not throwing shade. I mean, I was bulimic for fuck, I don't know, like 10 years. I was anorexic before that. So I don't know the full number. I think it was eight, whatever. You guys don't care. Uh, well, I was 21. I started, became bulimic. <laughs> my starting date. No, I just, the first time I purged uh, was my 21st birthday. <laughs> that was fun. And it had nothing to do with alcohol. I didn't even like drink on my 21st birthday. Um, I was too worried about other things. Um, so that would be, I'm counting it to now, like I'm still doing it. Oh God. Okay. So Till I was 29. So yeah, eight years. Sweet. Okay. Glad we got that cleared up. Um, 
And as in that state too, I would terrify myself, look up all these articles about what can happen to you. What does bulimia do to you? What, you know, I was terrified, but I, I was stuck, you know, and yes, those were my decisions. I, I chose to engage in that behavior and continue it and whatever. And I chose to get help when I chose to get help, but I did try to recover once that and it didn't work out so much. Um, but <laughs> I get, I get, my point is that I get the sensation of being trapped. It's like rock and a hard place, it, you know, but way more life or death dramatic. Um, another thing I wanted to say, which is kind of random and hopefully doesn't sound like drug seeking behavior because it's not, um, is that I've had, obviously I've never experienced heroin. Um, I think I took, it wasn't Vicodin, but it was something similar like Oxy. Oh, I talk, I took Oxy once after a surgery and it was nice. Like it was like a nice floaty feeling, but mostly I just wanted to sleep. And then that night I was just in pain, but, um, I had an endoscopy and things, they used to do this differently. It was pretty intense when I went in, this was just last year. And, um, I had the endoscopy, which is where they put, um, a camera scope down your throat not up the butt. That's a colonoscopy. So an endoscopy is to look at your stomach if you haven't had one or whatever. Um, and because they have to put that tube down there, they do have to, to sedate you. They don't put you to sleep, but they have to like basically sedate your nervous system because otherwise you would start choking. Your, your, your throat would be like, we're going to die. So it has to be fully relaxed and your brain, you, you know, has to be okay with it. So for that purpose, they give you a mixture of something, something and fentanyl. And I was like, what? Like, cause after watching intervention for so long, fentanyl is terrifying to me. <laughs> um, but obviously these are, there's a licensed anesthesiologist. I'm in my doctor's or in a doctor's office through my insurance at the hospital. Like I know I'm safe and obviously I've made it, but I will tell you when that shit enters your bloodstream, it, it doesn't matter where you are or what's going on. It doesn't matter that you're getting a giant plastic tube stuck down your throat and you have this like brace on your head to keep you in one spot and you're looking at video of someone taking samples of the inside of your stomach and you've been feeling like shit for a long time and you just want answers but that fentanyl gets in your blood and you're like man i should do this more often <laughs> like it's just everything feels great and it's terrifying that something can do that to your brain i mean it's kind of cool i suppose uh, it's almost like magic, right? But very terrifying because look at what that does to people's lives because they still get that high, even if their life is like terrible. It really fucks with your brain in more ways than I think I even thought about. Whew, I'm running out of breath. Um, <laughs> I'm talking a lot, but that's the point, right? It's a podcast. So um, hopefully I'm not talking too loudly because poor Kyler's trying to take a nap out there. Um, so Right. So we, the, you know, we're getting more nitty gritty information. We just heard Lexi describe so much of what the experience is like for her, um, at least the negatives. And obviously now it's been revealed that she does um, trade sex for drugs or money, um, which again, not uncommon. And I would imagine in Vegas, that would just be so easy to turn to. Like it's, you know, it's a thriving business, D despite it being illegal. It's still a thriving business in Vegas because it's the entertainment capital of whatever, right? And then, you know, we get statements from dad and sister that, you know, basically, well, first Lexi says, I, I don't know how to not do drugs. 
which is understandable. She's been doing them since before she was 18. Um, and she also, and then her father says, I, you know, all I do is wait for that call. Like, I just know she's going to die. And then the sister says, I've already mourned her death because she died many years ago. And again, like I said, the sister's breaking point really was the drugs while pregnant. Fair boundary. I understand that boundary. Um, and now we're going to get our, the classic, you know, excuse me, back in the day clips about her childhood and having her baby in times that she was sober. So I'm going to let that clip play while I try to burp not into the microphone. Here we go. Lexia was born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. She's the youngest of our three kids. I remember my parents bringing home Lexi bundled up in blankets with this chubby little face that she had. When Lexi was eight months old, my sister read an article about Las Vegas, about all the opportunities and all the jobs. Back in the 90s in Wisconsin, jobs were drying up. There was more work in Vegas than the Midwest. So we packed up and moved out here. My sister was about a year old when we moved to Las Vegas, and it was like a fresh start for us. Our house was in a cul-de-sac. Big trees in the yard. We just had carefree time. My mom was Susie Housemaker. She always had dinner on the table. My dad was the sole provider. I had no problem getting work. I'm a mechanic by trade. I wound up at this one shop. They did a lot of Ferraris, Rolls, Jags. People come here to spend all their money and drive them around in the strip. Lexia, as a little girl, was very happy. Lexia and I were close because she was the youngest and so damn cute and just my buddy, you know? I was a daddy's girl growing up, 100%. He was very protective over me, but um, my family did have some rocky times. When Lexia was around nine years old, the company I worked for kind of fizzled out. After my dad lost his job, there were a lot of bills that were getting missed and mortgages that weren't being paid. We lost our house and we went bankrupt. We ended up losing everything that we owned, everything. Lexi was 11 when my parents started moving around to hotels, campgrounds, living out of their car. The two older kids stayed at friend's house, and so Lexi stayed with us. Everything got kind of uh, like slapped in my face, like I didn't worry about anything before. And then we didn't have anywhere to live, and like no money to like eat, and trying to come up with money to get a hotel room for $25. When Lexi was 12 years old, I moved back to Wisconsin because I had a job working for my uncle, who runs his plastering company. I was devastated. He didn't want to leave his family, of course, but that was what he needed to do to provide for his family. I sent them every dime that I made every week for them to live. I think that my dad not being here had some strain on her. In my teens, I really started acting out. My mom was very lenient with me. Like I think that she just wanted to make me happy. I had no control over her. Just did what she wanted to do and didn't really listen to me. Okay, my mic was off, you guys. Sorry. Um, sorry that clip was long, uh, but definitely makes it explains a lot. Um, it explains, you know, 
how shattering that experience would be to like lose ev literally lose everything um she had the rug pulled out from under her and for some reason her older siblings i was mistaken earlier i thought they were old enough to move out but apparently they were just older and got to stay at a friend's house and they, they thought it was better to take their daughter with them i guess but to put her through that panic of how are we going to eat how are we going to live it's so unfair for such a small child and she's that's programming her to feel like that's life that's the way life goes it has to be and that makes a lot of sense because that's how the drug style drug lifestyle is and you know it's like the what do they say the carriage before the horse she lived that lifestyle before she even started doing horse <laughs> heroin um that's sorry they call heroin horse sometimes but before she started actually doing heroin i.e the horse uh in this metaphor that i'm so greatly using <laughs> so we we talk about that and then we get more intel on the whole like searching for a father figure thing guys if he's not if the dad's not an alcoholic i apologize i definitely thought he was um well we'll see if that comes up later <laughs> I mix up my intervention episodes, you guys. I'm so sorry. Some of them this season are just so fucking similar, um, which is not a bad thing. I enjoy all of them. And it's actually just a good point that so many fucking people are going through this. So I'm going to play just a little bit of them talking about that. I know this is a clip heavy episode. I am the clip queen. Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to, I'll put that in the description, I suppose. But I know from the feedback I've gotten, most of you enjoy that. Um, it's, I, I like to create it this way anyways blah 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 okay so let's hear a little bit more about lexi's foray into drugs i think that lexi was trying to find that father figure when i was 13 this older guy in his 30s started hanging around me and my friends and this older adult man was preying on young women she was being seduced by this man and basically had her and her friend held up at his house thinking that the world was ending. Said that I was the ruler of the world. Like, he had books that said this stuff. He, like, spent time, like, writing these books to, like, manipulate us. And they would do nothing but drugs all day long. He had money, so he always had them. I was first addicted to meth when I was 13. Once I started, I couldn't stop. And my dad wasn't there. You know, he was in Wisconsin, so, I mean, had my dad had been there, my dad would have beat that guy's ass. <laughs> By the time Lexi was in middle school, she was looking sunk in and a skeleton. Lexi dropped out of school before she even hit high school. And then uh, the older guy introduced me to heroin. He shot me up. He's like, you won't even feel it. And he did it, and literally I did not even feel it. Like, and I was like, what? Like, it's this easy? Huh. <laughs> and within a few months, I was um, hooked. That is so upsetting in so many ways. This Not only is this older man preying on young girls, sexually, I'm sure, even if it's not sexual, it's, it's bad. Not only that, but he's also clearly ill, mentally ill, possibly meth psychosis because it's he gave them meth first before the heroin came about. So, I mean, 13 doing meth. Wow. Um, this poor thing. And, and really, I'm saying it. I'll say it again. 
children and teenagers want boundaries. That's why they act out. They act out because they want the negative attention because they're like, do something. Seriously, in general, this is, I'm saying this is a general statement. I know there are exceptions. Do something. Notice me. Help me. Protect me. Be my parent. I'm not being parented here. Hello. And then the other half of it is like, look, maybe this other person is the answer or this drug or this whatever, because I'm missing so much that's fundamental. I'm missing compassion and love and fun and security and family. And these drugs are substituting that for me, but at a cost, a huge cost. You know, it's not real joy. It's not real happiness. It only ends up making things worse. But I do have sympathy for her because of the spot she was in. I do think she is definitely blaming her dad, but I, which is maybe not so fair. Um, but that's, you know, wouldn't be the first time that there somebody that an addict is blaming someone else. And then somehow the mom isn't on to the drug thing, or maybe doesn't know, doesn't want to know it, but the dad gets, you know, it starts making good money in Wisconsin and therefore they can buy a home. And despite dropping out of school, I, I, I don't get this. Like, how is this overlooked? She dropped out of school and now you have a home and she's just doing whatever she wants. Like, I, it's pretty wild. Um, so the mo her mother describes um, being in the house and seeing black everywhere, you know, like ev evidence of the heroin. And then finally she found water balloons and her words said, oh, cute, they're playing water balloons. And then she realized it was heroin. And then she says she just sat down and cried and cried and cried because that was the confirmation that her daughter was using heroin. I didn't even know that she was into heroin and all that. Her mother did a pretty good job of not informing me for probably good reasons because I'd flip off the handle, you know. That's a good reason to tell. He needs to flip off the handle. This girl needs parenting. Holy shit. No. Okay, at 18, she starts dating Cole, a classmate from high school. We had both had problems with addiction and everything, so I guess we understood e each other. I had just gotten out of rehab, and Lexi got clean for me. I saw potential in our relationship, and I wanted a fresh start. When Lexi was 19, we decided to pack up and move to New York to be with my family. Lexi had a good job at a diner and she was making good money. I was a waitress. I was making $200 a day in tips. Everything was going great and when I was 21, Cole proposed. Literally a month later, I found out I was pregnant. I gotta say, that's a long time to be sober, 18 to 21. Like, three years might not sound like a lot, but like, you're established sober. I mean, I know you can relapse at any time. I'm no fool. Um, but, it, you know, usually in these instances, you, you just, it's less common to hear of someone who's so deep in it to be like, all right, I'll get sober, like, for you or like for this relationship for that long. Um, and who knows how long she might have stayed sober if she hadn't become pregnant, because clearly that was a trigger. It was exciting. I was clean, newly married, and I had a baby on the way. Things were um, looking good. And then I got a call that 
changed everything. Twist. Who was the one that was triggered? Cole. The husband. So while pregnant, Lexi gets a call, as she teased, she got a call informing her that Cole had been using heroin at work and was passed out. Luckily, was not dead. I mean, obviously, he's on this show. But a lot, many times when somebody goes back to something as noxious as, as heroin, you know, they take the dose that they used to take and then it just kills them because their body is not used to it anymore. And unfortunately, I have a cousin who passed away that way. There's a lot of um, addiction in my family. Um, but yeah, it, I can't imagine that. And then you're pregnant and now you feel like you're the whole family and you have to hold it all together. You're going to be triggered too. That's why, that's why they say like, when you get sober, you shouldn't date for like two years or something like that. I mean, you can't always do things in like chronological order like that, but I can see how this mounted up to be a lot of stress. It's hard to be young and support yourself. And like, I wouldn't turn to heroin, but if we had a, if we had a pregnancy before we were ready, you know, I'd be very freaked out. I don't know what it would lead me to do. Probably like cry a lot, but <laughs> go to therapy. But, um, yeah, those are that, those are tense, tense fucking times, dude. So Lexi describes, you know, he's all she had out there. And by out there, she means in Erie in New York, you know, they moved to New York to be in his neck of the woods near his family. And she says, he's all I had out there. I don't want to be a single mom. And I did what I always do. I turned to drugs, which is sad, but also kind of like, oh man. But the worst of it is that she had this relapse while seven months pregnant with Ryan. And we're going to, I'm going to play a clip about the aftermath of that, which I can, I'm sure you can imagine isn't good. So here we go. Ryan, she was born addicted to heroin. She was crying like I was nervous because I'm like, holy I'm going to have to tell these doctors that she's going to withdraw. So that lost Lexi custody for obvious reasons. I flew there that day and we went through court for two months and I finally got custody of her. Once my mom got full custody of Ryan, she was able to take her to Las Vegas. I'm grateful, very grateful that my mom did that. After my mom left New York with Ryan, things got really, really bad. Me and Cole started using heroin again very heavily. Within a few months, we spent $20,000 that we had in savings. That's insane. Oh my God. A lot of these things are crazy to me, like that she remained in New York, that having that baby didn't sober her up, losing that baby didn't sober her up. Again, I'm not judging. I'm just, these are surprising things to me. And that they fed, they co, you know, they fed each other's addictions. They enabled each other. It's also surprising to me that she didn't have anger towards Cole, didn't blame Cole for all of this. And, and yet, instead, just, I mean, I've been in an abusive relationship. I know how it goes, but I'm not saying Cole was an abuser, but I understand that you can be very 
manipulated and drugs are certainly an abuser. Excuse me. God damn it. All these burps. Um, so it's just wild to me that they stayed together and partied, I guess, just to have, to have somebody because you know, when you're addicted, that's your friend. So good to have a human body to embody your drug friend, I suppose. I don't know, man. It's just, it's very sticky. This one is very unique because she's not even in the same state as her kid. Um, but at 22, she moves, she moves back to Las Vegas. She and Cole both moved last back to Las Vegas to be close to their daughter. At this point, they're still married. And what ends up happening is they, of course, they don't have money. They just, as she said, they spent $20,000. They're all their savings on drugs. Um, God, I wish I had $20,000 to waste <laughs> or not waste. Obviously, I'm not going to do heroin. But she, you know, they have no money. So they, they move into the mom's house and the dad moves back from Wisconsin after 10 years specifically to help raise Ryan because even though Lexi and Cole are in the house, they're not parents. They're on, they're addicts. They're fully addicted to drugs, obviously. So let's get a little clip in here. Lexi and Cole moved in with us to be around Ryan, but that didn't last long. Lexi has stolen a lot from us. Our house has been cleaned out three times laptop, TVs, all of my wife's jewelry. She's not the same girl she was, nor she ever will be. They were still doing their drugs, and so we kicked them out. We were homeless, and being homeless in Vegas sucks. Winter or summer, we did a lot of crystal meth to stay up because we had nowhere to sleep. And while we were together and while we were married, all that mattered was the drugs and, and getting high. And then according to the e captions and everything, that's when prostitution becomes the answer. So at 23, so basically four years before this intervention episode, Lexi, they don't, they have nothing. And I think, I mean, that's why they call it the world's oldest profession is because what do you have besides your body when you've got nothing else? I suppose. I don't think I, that's terrible. No one should be in that position. I mean, if, if sex work were legal and people chose to take part in that really consented then that's one thing um, but to be desperate and have nothing of value except your intimate parts is really really dark <laughs> trying not to say anything like that would offend anybody all i'm trying to say is i just can't and i'm lucky that i can't imagine getting to that point I've like thought about it just hypothetically, like what would I do? And it's always trying to picture like the act when I'm like, no, this like weird old dude on top. No, oh God, it's scary. I, I think I'd be scared that I was going to die every time too. Um, but I, I like, I get how it happens. It's not me passing judgment from my privileged life. I just, I'm just acknowledging how horrific that's got to be with this baby you have no part of their life. You got kicked out because you're a drug addict. You're homeless. You're doing meth so you never sleep. Yeah, I guess that makes sense that prostitution comes to mind. I don't know how they got the meth, though, before. Anyway, it turns out that, you know, this was Lexi's plan, not so much Cole's. So it causes a big problem. This is like a big boundary for him. She's, as he puts it, going off to hotels and coming back with money. And uh, she says the most she ever made was 
$1,200 for a seven-minute handjob. <laughs> like the most shaver made in one gig, which is a lot of money for a fucking handjob. I'd be really rich if I could. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm getting married. Anyway, um, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to stop with the joke that I was going to make there. <laughs> stop it right there. Anyway, uh, cut to the next year, basically, maybe not a full year, but Cole gets sober and asks for a divorce. And since then, so, oh yeah, she was already 23. So that's that year he asked for a divorce. So for the past four years, he's been clean and seeing Ryan on a weekly basis. So he's being a dad as much as he can. Um, you know, I mean, obviously Lexi's dad is the father figure in this situation, but at least Ryan turned it around. I mean, not, not Ryan, sorry, Cole turned it around. Ryan's the daughter again, mixing gender names. Love it. Um, and then I'll have a clip of the family talking about this um, development right now. Lexi has lost everything due to her addiction. She's lost her daughter. She's lost her family. Alexia cannot stop. And eventually she will die. Love that music. Sorry, that was a short one, but I just like getting that energy in there. That wow, that's really off key. I'm sorry. I was running out of breath. Anyway, I mean, you'll hear more of it, but okay, guys, here's a pretty cringy clip um, between Lexi and her quote unquote boyfriend, Steven, who is not a good character. Um, I believe we will hear some wrestling and tussling and Steven insisting that the cameras be turned off. And now Matilda, you helped me understand that this is obviously a request for the cameras to go away so that he can beat her up or, you know, abuse her or do whatever it is that he does that he knows is not approved for camera that he knows is wrong. Um, so this is triggering, you know, it's a, it's like a fight, but if you, it's, we don't see any violence. It's just more the tension and the fact that it's like alluding to what happens in between them. Are you making juice? Making the ultimate juice. Steven is my boyfriend. We've been dating for about a year. Currently, we're staying in hotels, but technically we're homeless. We gamble a lot, so most of our hotel stays and our food and everything is comped from spending so much. We've been at this one for uh, two, two months now. I do see parallels between her living in hotels now, the same as when my parents were living in hotels and Lexi was 10 years old. Lexi's stuck living in the past. Lexi and I work because she's not scared to like put me in my place. She's like a little Rottweiler. Yeah. Yeah, come on. You're gonna drink it. I'll force it down you. Although he means well and cares, most of the time, he's playing more of like a father figure than um, my boyfriend. It's disgusting. It tastes like apples and pineapple juice, but it's going to make your day. You want to get rid of a headache? I can't. Really? You're crazy. Being in a relationship with Lexi that 
she's using. It's like uh, roller coasters. It's a heavyweight championship fight, fighting Mike Tyson every single day. Steven has some addiction issues too. He has a very bad gambling um, addiction and uh, he used to be a horrible alcoholic. My mom's calling me, hold on. Hey. Hi, mommy, where are you? We are gonna be leaving now. I'm going to GameWorks with my daughter. I am never on time. We're coming right now. We got like an Alexi now or like an hour. Can I call you back? Goodbye. So before we get to that scene that I was teasing, um, there is this plot line and I'm breaking it up so that it's not just one gigantosaurus clip, um, that the reason the, the mom called is, like she said, Lexi is supposed to go see Ryan at GameWorks, which is like an arcade. Um, and Lexi, instead of doing that, is getting mad high. And then there was also a little blurb after she said, and I think this is what spurred the fight, um, after she tells us uh, about Stephen's addictions and past addictions, it says that he asked her not to discuss that with the documentary crew, meaning not only did he not want to talk about it, but he didn't want her to talk about it. So I'm assuming that fed into the fight. Um, so I'm going to share that audio with you now. But meanwhile, we always see the meanwhile of Ryan and Graham and Lexi's mom just bumming around waiting, which is a bummer. All right, listen, guys, I'm sorry. The fight part is later. I got it mixed up in my head. I think it's a forgivable offense because I will get to it. I, I had it in my notes written next to whatever. It's not interesting. Um, but let's get more into this arcade situation and then the fight will, will, will surface or it won't. I mean, honestly, let's just keep going. So Lexi is at the arcade. She finally makes it and Ryan, you know, grandma and Ryan have been waiting forever this is not fun. This isn't like, woohoo, mommy met us and now we're going to party. It's like, oh, mom's actually making an appearance. It looks like Steven's there too. What? Is his name Steven? I already forgot. Her boyfriend is there too. Um, and I mean, they, they make the rounds, but she'll say herself in this clip that I'm going to play that in the back of her mind is getting out and getting high. Um, so this is how you can't fake parenting, dude. You just can't fucking do it. You can't just show up once and be like, look, I bought you a teddy bear. I'm sorry. I, I know I'm not a parent. Um, but I think that's a fair statement. And I think it's fair to be really frustrated with this woman, even though I understand where she's coming from. You know, there's a big difference between responsibility and blame. She's not responsible for her childhood being bad. She's not responsible for what that man did to her. She's not, and she's not to blame for what that man did to her, but the choices she's making now, especially ever since the pregnancy, she's responsible and she is to blame because those, those were her choices. They continue to be her choices. Um, and I understand there's things that weren't her choices, but this is her reaction to it. And it's not functional. It's not fair. And it's not healthy for anybody. I mean, it seems like stating the obvious, but as much sympathy as I have, I get so mad and I, it, it touches close to home. I'm not going to talk about why, cause it's like really personal information, not of mine, but of a friend's, 
but it I, it cut it hits really close to home for me just because I have people in my life who struggle and I I understand that um but when I when someone chooses to struggle instead of being healthy that is really heartbreaking especially when they have a child and you love that child and you don't understand how they could choose anything else i guess and i understand that person would say to me it's more complicated um but i don't think it's a complicated decision i think it's a complicated process but it's not a complicated decision and that's why i'm going to play this clip right now the bonus oh you got the super bonus right yeah. Lexi's like a big sister or a friend. She doesn't have a clue. She comes and they have fun and it's all lovely. And then she leaves and I deal with all of it. Where's Uh, Over there with my mom. But even Ryan gets aggravated. You know, I'm your daughter. Like, you're here to play with me. It's sad. It's so sad. She don't even get it. I mean, it's just so unfair to Ryan. It's so unfair. I love spending time with my daughter but the first thing that comes into my mind is getting high. Yeah. Yeah. I love you, what'd you get? Of course I, I love her more than the heroin, but it's so much more complicated than that. I definitely think Lexi should not be able to be around Ryan. Bye, Bye. thank you. See her, nothing. Yeah. Bye. All right, love you that's the biggest enabling there is because then she gets to go off and know that her, her daughter's protected. Why would you stop if you're still getting to do everything you want and there's no consequences? 100% agree with the sister. 100%. Also, the sister gives me Tara Reid vibes. I mean, in a good way. I don't know what it, what it is. A little bit of way, the way she like her face moves when she talks. She's also lovely. Um, that's not the point. Um, 100% agree with everything that the sister said. Also, you heard in here, it is such a classic addict line to say, it's just more complicated than that. And that's when you know, like, if they're not giving you like an answer, like, well, I can't do that because of this. And they're just like, it's just complicated. That's avoidance. That's a way to get you to fuck off so they can do what they want and not feel bad about it. Sorry. Again, it hits close to home. Um, and it's not about whether I like or dislike Lexi, that's got nothing. That's really irrelevant. It's about the truth, the behavior of it all. She's being enabled. She feels comfortable with what she's doing because she's been doing it for so long. And bottom line, like her mom says, she doesn't even fucking know what it is to be a mom. Lexi specifically, I'm not talking about anybody else. I'm just talking about Lexi. She doesn't know how to be a mom because she's never been a mom. She gave birth and that was it. And as her mom says, she drops in and out and like visits like an older sister would like an older sister to a very young sibling would. And you would never even have that close of a sibling relationship usually with that age gap, let alone a mom and daughter. And and uh, you can't hear it, but what you can see in the clip that I just played too is that Lexi, of course, spends most of her time not really paying attention to Ryan. She wins her a teddy bear and then it's like, look, you won this game. And then she goes off and like hangs out with her boyfriend and texts people to see where she's going to get her next score. And I swear when she says... Of course, what's on my mind is getting meth. She has this like relaxed smile on her face when she said, or not meth. Did she say meth? I'm sorry. Um, getting drugs. Uh, and she has this smile on her face like, oh yeah, the drugs. Okay, good, 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 good. I'm going to have drugs. Which is like the way that I feel and probably look when I'm like, but at least I'll take a bath when I get home. <laughs> and I have wine too. Like I understand we all have our vices, but this is so beyond that. 
Um, and so naturally they take off and they're all done. They're like, wow, look, we did parent time. We're the best. And on the heels of that, you know, we talk about what the sister said and, uh, oh, sorry. We meet Dave, Dave Marlin, newer to the show, definitely not new to therapy. Um, he's a great interventionist. I, I believe he's probably from the area, although I could be wrong. He might just be new staff on the show. Uh, but he comes and he meets with the mother first and he wants just backgrounds. He finds out about what drugs she does, you know, how prevalent, how can you tell? <laughs> and she's, the mom's like, you can tell like because she's on heroin and meth and the guy's like okay got it and then he asks about the relationships with the family members and he finds out okay she's welcome here she's welcome to visit her daughter da 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 how about her sister and that's where this clip comes in you guys i don't even know <laughs> i don't know why i wrote about the fight so early on i'm sorry i pumped it up i blew it up and now it's just like not even happening um just keep it in the back of your mind and please forgive me. Okay, here we go. This is in insight into the sister relationship of it all. The sister being the one person who has appropriate boundaries with Lexi and Lexi seems bothered by that, which you'll hear. So it's like, what might happen if Lexi's mom and dad did the same thing? But of course there's, you know, I'll, we'll get into it. She's really angry since Lexi's had Ryan. My sister, Jackie, does not want anything to do with me because I am a drug addict. She will not be in the same room as me. We haven't spoken in over five years. I understand it, but I miss my older sister. I mean, she was my best friend, but as long as I'm using, she doesn't want me around. So Jackie, she's put up a healthy boundary. Right, yes. And it sounds like you haven't. Well, it's funny because I did, and then then I don't, and I let it go, mostly because of Ryan. Because when Ryan like cries for her mom and wants her mom, what what am I gonna do? Right. How's your husband in this? He's easier than I am. He's the one that says, you know, she's calling me. I have to let her come in, and I, you know. So when when I don't, he does. When he doesn't, I right. do. And okay. It's a vicious cycle. How about? Uh, Drugs and alcohol for you. Do you use drugs or alcohol? I drink occasionally. Okay. How about your husband, the same? He drinks. He drinks more than you do? Yes. Not like a 12 pack a day or anything, okay. but a few beers when he comes home from work. Does he get drunk? <laughs> but, yeah. But not like. like not obliterated, no. but. But not. Is like, he an alcoholic? Um, I guess you probably maybe would consider him an alcoholic. Okay. Absolutely, I've struggled with addiction. Do I drink now? Absolutely, I drink. When we were younger, I knew my dad drank, but back then I didn't know how much he drank. When my dad was really heavy into his addiction, he would smash our and everything. So when my dad tells me to go to rehab, it's like, how dare you? Okay, I understand that was a lot. <laughs> More than just the sister, but... Um... It, I kind of had to get it all in there. That's where we finally dropped the bomb about the dad being an alcoholic. This is the most disorganized episode I've ever done. <laughs> like, because I'm going to do, I got, just to explain myself, I'm going to do another girl from this season who's about two episodes after this. And it's a very similar story. And my brain is 
it's functioning, I guess, but I had to do, like, I had to pay at the S for my taxes this weekend. I got real freaked out about that. There was a social event. I decided to look really cute. So that was a lot of work. <laughs> I don't know, guys. I'm tired. Um, but I love you and I love doing this and I love um, these episodes so much. So that's just, I things get mixed up sometimes, especially when they're similar. They're all in Vegas, you know, and generally it's similar, you know, afflictions. Um, and then the, you know, the backstory I kind of get mixed up about a little bit, but I guess there's a, there's maybe there's something, something to be said about that. You know, the reason they blend together sometimes is, uh, because there's almost a monotony to addiction and the way that it is predictable. And my, I guess my point is if something is so predictable and able to be manipulated in one way, why the fuck haven't we figured out like a sustainable way to manipulate it the other way? Like, I'm not getting political. I just, it hasn't, honestly, it's just about people. Like as somebody who works in behavior and, and who can shape behavior pretty well for others, I just wish there were protocol for this, like built in to something um, and not protocol that enables protocol that, you know, applies the basic tenets of, you know, behavioral science and uses them, you know, without someone needing to pay, um, you know, thousands upon thousands of dollars just to get a decent rehab, which again, rehabs and prisons, both private industries, kind of an issue guys, just a little tiny bit. <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah, so dad's an alcoholic and apparently was violent when he was sometimes drunk. So that's where we get the deep seated, like, well, why should I have to? So she blames dad for a lot, for not being there, for being drunk. And I don't, again, that's not her, she's not to blame for those things. He is, um, he's responsible, but she's responsible for her decisions, especially cause she's 27, which I know is young, but she's an adult and she has, and she's a mom, biologically speaking. All right, okay, okay, okay I found it. Okay, Lexi's been smoking meth continuously for the last two hours, and we're going to hear a little bit of commentary about her dad just in the, he's not with her, but he, it's spliced in his comments about her, how her, how her behavior can be quite erratic, um, unpredictable when she smokes, obviously, like, I mean, that's an obvious statement, but in order to set the scene for what I believe is the fight, <laughs> so here we go boyfriend not the dad. Lexia uses meth. She's absolutely unpredictable, angry, and volatile. Steven? You can't even talk and reason. You can't say nothing. Your friend stole my handcuffs that I bought. Why would you bring that up? Because she asked if I had handcuffs. A baby could get out of those handcuffs. They weren't even real. Uh, did I have handcuffs because I'm an officer and I'm arresting people? Lexi, when she's high, is one chaotic scene after another. Your friend stole from me. You stole from him, Lex. Steal from everyone. Just rampage. You just said I don't steal and I don't steal. Don't talk to me. I don't, don't steal. Don't talk to me. There's so much chaos. I'm gonna get the out of here because I can't stand your Can you do me the Lex! The only thing she has left for her is prison or death. Can you stop recording for a second? No, you want some more of it? You said that. You're a and a dumbass, 
I'm in You're the not recording, right? I am. She is recording. Mother Shit, sorry, the ad got in there. Okay, so I don't know if you could surmise. So she starts, she gets upset about something random. Um, you, It may look like she's instigating, sure, but it's a very small thing and it doesn't, it doesn't necess necessitate his reaction. I mean, there, she's on drugs, like the whole thing is fucked. I understand that, but the dynamics are very clear to me that any little thing and she's probably really, really on edge because he treats her like shit. So any little thing, she's like, God damn it. And now this thing, like, and she brings up a little thing. Okay, whatever. She's upset about her handcuffs. I don't really know what the significance of the handcuffs is. I suppose they're for sex, unless she like poses as a cop, but I doubt that. Oh, she does do sex work. That's probably why. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know. Maybe they use them together. Um, I don't know. How much sex do you have on meth? Like if you're not paid for it. I wonder. I'm just curious. Someone let me know. Um, so she is upset, but she's not intimidating at all. She's not, she's not even near him. She's in the doorway, you know, kind of has her hands on the doorway and she's sort of leaning forward. So she's in a very like not power stance at all. And she's like, well, he stole. And he's like, you steal all the fucking this time, which is true. And she's like, no, I don't, don't say that. So maybe she doesn't anymore. I don't know. Or maybe she's just lying. doesn't matter. What happens is the camera person gets like scoots out of the way. So all you see is the door frame and you just hear this crash and Lexi goes, Ugh, and she like backs up because he's throwing like hard, heavy shit at her. And he's like, turn the, stop fucking recording. You heard that. And then he goes, you want some more of it? And that, and then he throws more shit and I'm sure is ready to throttle her. And that's why he looks at the camera. He's like, you're not recording. Right. And she goes, she is recording. And he freaks out. And the next thing we see is um, just text that uh, they, the record, the, what is the word? The person, the camera woman, <laughs> I kept wanting to say photographer, the camera woman and Lexi leave for their safety. The meth head leaves for her safe. Sorry. The person that's on meth for two hours leaves for her safety because this guy is sober, but he's a fucking rageaholic. Again, he's not on any substances. He is a gambling addict. But the fact that they try to frame it like she's unpredictable, she's volatile. It's like, mm, sure, but that doesn't necessitate this reaction. Like, it's really fucking gross. And clearly he was ready to just beat the shit out of her. So um, he's a peach. And let's... I finally, I finally got to it though. I finally got to the fight. And as usual, he's like, what, you're leaving? Which is what they always do. You're crazy. You're blowing us out of proportion. What, you're fucking leaving now? What the fuck? You're crazy. Like, I just love it because it's so fucking predictable. Sorry. A little fire in my belly. Um, so he's yelling, are you really doing this? And I'm sure he would have chased her if there weren't other people around filming it because they do film her leaving he's just not in the room and then they go they're downstairs in the parking lot and she's like i just want to get high and the producer's like let's please get in the car first like has a good head on her shoulders let's get in the car and lexi's like oh he's up there he's watching us and she's got a little bit of a smile on her face because it's like when you're in that kind of situation i mean this is just conjecture this is me projecting my own experiences you're scared and you're mad and you're angry and you just, it sucks. But at the same time, you're like, okay, but he's watching. So he won't dump me. This is going to be okay. like, cause you need them at the same time. This is desperate codependency. Drugs are no drugs. 
um you know so this sounds seems like something pretty typical plus she's been on meth for two hours like she's not in her, her right mind in a mind <laughs> I don't know. So cut to the pre-intervention, which is traditionally when the interventionist speaks to the family members, whomever is going to be present for the intervention. In this case, it's just mom, dad, and sister. Um, and as we know, her sister is the only one who has bound any boundaries. She has all the boundaries, but she has them all. She's, you know, they should all have some, she has all of them. Um, and so, you know, now he's got to get down to the nitty gritty and be like, you guys, like, here's what's necessary. I appreciate uh, each of you being here. I know that this is gut-wrenching and scary. I want to help her. And I know each of you do too. Oh, she's going to die if you don't. Right. From what I learned about you, Jessica, you struggle with enabling. Anything you do to support her while she's using meth and heroin is enabling her to continue the cycle of drug addiction. You're probably right. Oh, Jackie, it sounds like you have good, healthy boundaries. Yes. She started using when she was pregnant, and that was my last straw. Good job. And we're going to talk about you two developing similar boundaries. And as of tomorrow, we need to stop enabling her. I mean, we're not talking about a 15-year-old girl. We're talking about well, a 27-year-old Well, mentally, we're talking girl. about a 15-year-old girl. She'll be 28 tomorrow. And, and to me, it, it sounds like she's even younger, developmentally. She seemed to be glamorizing her current life, um, yeah, and yeah. It, it seems sad. Yes, she's out of touch with reality. Most of her boyfriends are older than her. Like, right, she goes from person she to person. She has a codependent, like she can't be alone. Hey, what's up? Nothing, I'm just gonna ha have like a, uh, like a little party, like I was gonna wear lingerie and... <laughs> Well, that would be great. Tomorrow, once she's here, my sole goal is going to be get her into a minivan and get her out. I just don't know if she's there yet. I just Let's don't talk know about if she's that. there yet. Let's talk about bottom lines. If she says no, I would like you three to agree we're no longer going to have contact with you. You're no longer going to have contact with your daughter. You're no longer going to be welcome in our home. No money, not, not even a call. We're blocking your number. You're done. Jessica, can you do it? I'm I'm there now, yeah. I can do it. You can't see your daughter. You can't come to our house. We won't give you money. If you don't go, that's it. Good. Can you stop enabling her, Dan? That's a good question. We have to. If we want to save her life, we have to. I'm going to ask a tough question. If Lexi talks about your drinking, would you be willing to stop drinking to support her? We've all been there. You're <laughs> Sorry if any of the clip of the ad gets in there. I the pause button doesn't like me today. Um, so it's pretty straightforward. And now it's interesting because this dad that's kind of been a shadow figure for so long, now he's such an integral piece and he's stubborn. And I will say, you know, after that break, he says he'll try. Um, spoiler alert, I'm just going to tell you, 
he does not end up getting any sort of treatment. That's really the only information we get at the end, but he does say he'll try. So for the purposes of like telling her in the intervention, like he's going to get help, like at least he said it at the time. It's not like a bold-faced lie. He had the intention, I suppose you could say. That's not good enough, but it, it could be good enough to get someone out the door and into rehab. So it is what it is, but uh, he's very attached to his... He's obviously a functioning alcoholic. Like, I know he's had hard times, but he's been able to, for the most part, support his family for this long. And when he wasn't, I mean, it wasn't, as far as we were told, it had nothing to do with his addiction or his inability or, or lack of willingness to work. It was because this, his company went under and he immediately went, you know, after couldn't find anything in Vegas. He moved to Minnesota, back to Wisconsin or Minnesota, I forgot, Wisconsin, um, to, you know, work there. I'm sure he drank a lot because he was alone, but presumably he worked because they bought this house. So I can see how he'd be like, well, I'm a functional alcoholic. I don't have to stop. You know, that's a pretty big um, place that a lot of people get stuck. So after the break um, is the intervention. And, you know, there's the high pounding music. It's different than a lot of interventions. Lexi knows she's going to... Actually, it's really hard to tell where they are. I think it's the house. But regardless, she knows that who she's going to see to a certain extent. Um, it's not like Lexi thinks she's going to her final interview and then the whole family's there and she's like, fuck no. It's not like, I don't know why I said it like that. Fuck no. Um, it's not like that. Um, she walks in and she's a little dubious, but she catches on my senses she probably had a feeling about what this was the whole time but probably wasn't opposed to it which is like great so um she see her dad greets at the door and she's like hey dad and then she sees her mom and sister and she's like whoa and the sister's like she saw me she saw me and they're worried or she's worried that lexi's gonna like be mad or yell at her or walk out but she doesn't she sits down and has like a big soda and her mom's like don't spill that which is like mom seriously pick your bottles right now um, but anyway, it's, you know, instinct, mom, mom instinct. And, uh, so she sits down and the interventionist says, you know, hi, I'm your interventionist. And she just kind of like gives like a small laugh, like, oh, like you're just going to say it, but not like she's surprised. Um, and I will play a clip of the intervention. I'm not going to play the whole thing, but I will play kind of the middle to the end. Jackie. I didn't think I was going to already be emotional. Um, uh, when I was six years old and mom and dad told me that I was going to have a baby sister, I wasn't happy. And you came home from the hospital. I thought, yay, I'll have someone to share my secrets with, play dress up, and do fun girl things with. What hurts the most is that I'm forgetting most of all the good times. And what also hurts the most is that Ryan doesn't get to have the mom she so desperately wants. I want to let you know that even though I'm angry and hurt, I still want you to be healthy and safe and alive so you can see Ryan grow up. You need to get help for yourself. Only you can do this. Um, but you know you have an army behind you ready and willing to help. Okay, Mom. Well, first off, happy birthday. I love you with all my heart. Oh, yeah, that's the thing I forgot. It's her birthday. <laughs> I suppose it's just coincidence, but wow. I mean, it's like a great thing to get on your birthday, but also like, wow, let's talk about all the failures you had on your birthday. <laughs> you know, 
it's tough. Um, I'm going to skip over a little bit of what mom says and we'll see the result. Lexi, will you take your family's generous offer and go to treatment today? The place we've selected is Casa Capri Recovery and it's in California. Your dad has agreed to stop drinking today as well. Your family loves you. They want their daughter, their sister. Ryan wants your mom. Right now, today, it's okay. You're gonna go and you're gonna get better and you'll be there for her. She got the rest of her life and so do you. Lexi, will you go to treatment today? Lexi, will you take your family's generous offer and go to treatment today? Yes. Great. When Lexi said yes to treatment, there was a sigh of relief. I, I really couldn't fight back any tears. It was a long time coming, I think. I love you. Okay. Okay, so there you have it. She says, yes, sorry that clip was garbled. I'll probably fix it, but if I don't, sorry that clip was garbled. Um, there was an ad break, of course, and so they have to repeat and be like, what's she gonna say? And then she says, yes. And then she goes, she gets in with Inger Lisa, the longest lasting cast member, I think, of the show, the nurse. Um, and she goes to rehab and you guys, this one's a happy one. <laughs> she goes to rehab and they acknowledge, you know, everything she's been through and she digs in she digs in she's like i'm here for a reason she probably was anticipating this just didn't have she she was stuck in in a loop and she didn't have an out and someone gave her an out and here it is an out that wasn't death Whew. so 72 days later i'm just gonna play this guys 72 days later this is our girl lexi I've been clean and sober for 72 days. Physically, I am feeling stronger. I'm enjoying like learning how to live not using drugs. Lexi has been really addressing some issues that she's been struggling with. You know, when she had first arrived, she didn't know how to act around people. And since she's been in treatment, she's been able to work through that. How is your relationship with Ryan? I FaceTime with Ryan every day. She knows that I'm sick and I'm like working on myself. I don't think she like understands what drugs are. Right. Thinking a little bit about aftercare and what comes next. I'm probably gonna like stay in the area do a sober living program for a couple months and get better for my daughter. And you guys, she does, as far as we know, that is where she is now. She is still doing well. She is sober. Her sober date was December, 2020. Obviously this was filmed a while ago. Um, God, I hope that lasts, you know, she's done a, she's had a bout of sobriety three years before, you know, it's like, as long as, 
once you've had clarity for long enough, you know, there's hope. So, and she's just in the most gorgeous place you can be, um, <laughs> at this beach area, you know, uh, on the, on the ocean in Newport beach. I mean, some of the most expensive real estate in the country. <laughs> uh, it's pretty astounding. Um, so she's, she plans to stay in that area, which is really common. It's really common that addicts, this is why they send them out, out of their area because they need to be in a different environment and a different context to relearn or to learn new, um, neural pathways, as well as new behaviors, new thoughts, new behaviors, new reactions, new vices, new ways of gaining pleasure, new ways of dealing with pain, all that fun stuff. So yeah, I'm really fucking proud of Lexi. I think she, she did fight for herself. Um, yeah, her family too, but she fought for herself and I'm proud of her for that. Um, unfortunately, as far as we know, dad, her dad never sought any help for his drinking and that's its own thing. So I don't know, you know, we're not inside of his story really so much, but it seems like Lexi's holding strong and that's not a, a determining factor for her. It's not like, but you this, like she's past that, which is a big deal because that's a big part of codependency. So it seems like she's really taken to all the material and the counseling and just running with it. So that's, I'm stoked for her. I, I do worry. She's going to have to do probably a lot of counseling with her daughter because her daughter's going to be like, you weren't fucking there. Like whether I knew what drugs were or not, like you don't, when you're young, like you may not know what drugs do, but you're listening to everything. So you know, there's something going on. And I just as somebody who grew up, um, with a cousin, a different cousin than the one I mentioned before, who was already really, really addicted to crack, uh, when I was born, um, because she was maybe like 25 years older than me. Um, she has passed away since, but she became an addict when she was in college before I was born. Um, and also came from a place of trauma. I don't even know. <laughs> I, that's another episode. I'll have to do an after hours about that. But, um, she actually ended up getting shot before I, again, before I was born. So she was really smart. She graduated from UCLA and this is what I know. <laughs> I wasn't there. I wasn't alive yet. Um, and then, but because she was involved with drugs, I'm not sure which drugs at the time, I think crack or crack cocaine or just cocaine. I'm not sure. She went to buy some and, um, was shot. I don't know what went down, but she got shot in the eye and survived, but she obviously lost her eye and had a lot of brain damage. So she always seemed like off and slow when I knew her. I mean, she was still a human that could like, I think she drove, maybe she didn't drive, but like she's, you know, she like did things, but she lived on disability and it was always very strange and awkward to be around her. And I was just so resentful that no one explained why, like nobody talked to me or my sister about it. We were the ones, the only ones that were young at that point. And it's not like it was like a blessing that we didn't know what drugs did. It was like, can you just tell us? Like, cause it was so uncomfortable and I don't know, like you need, you need to give children. I think you need to give children context. You can, you can water it down. You don't have to use scary words but i didn't even know no one even told me there was such thing as mental illness like at that point i just knew what i heard and i remember being in the car really young and my aunt talking to my cousin's mom talking to my mom 
about this this cousin and saying you know she went to go buy crack and then this happened and so now we're dealing with that she's arrested again like the cycle that all these people go through that that was the rest of her life was this cycle and then she ended up dying of an overdose so um i mean she made it to her 40s maybe um maybe not i think she might have been in her her 30s because i was definitely not 20 yet so yeah she made it i guess to her 30s um she yeah so i remember hearing this conversation i pieced so much together i knew something weird was going on she had a one glass eye and no one told us about it and also like so what i remember thinking like okay why are crackers bad car <laughs> like i didn't know what crack was but i knew they were talking about something bad so i was like well what kind of cracker would send you to jail like i was just trying to figure this out in my head because kids are going to try and synthesize whatever they hear so if you don't give them the right information they're going to make up their own they're not dolls they're not pets they don't just sit there and 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 you know hear only their own name they listen they fucking listen okay that's just all I'm, all I'm saying. And also, it was scary to be around because things would happen and no one would explain. I remember one time my mom was like, oh, man, we have to go. I'm not going to say her name. I don't know why. I just feel weird saying her name. Not that my aunt would ever listen to this, but um, we'll call her Nikki. Uh, I just got a call. And by the way, this person, Nikki, who I'm calling her, she did not live in our town. She lived like an hour away when she had a home like she was a drifter but she lived in like the in a different county and one day i'm in elementary school and my mom and i are like out doing whatever i don't know i was just with my mom doing whatever she had to do because you know she's my ride and um and i remember she gets a call or she had gotten a call at home there weren't cell phones yet and from a payphone at the walmart the old walmart in gilroy where we where my parents live and Nikki was randomly at the Walmart and called my mom and like as a kid I'm like this is so weird like we don't see Nikki outside of gatherings she doesn't live here how'd she get here why'd she call you what does she want like why is she at a Walmart like what's happening you know and we went and they had a kind of a conversation and I'm sure Nikki asked for money and my mom said no and then we left and I was like that's so what (laughs) no one told me anything about it so I knew there was weird shit going on. I just, I needed the the terminology. I needed the context, not because I was going to go do drugs myself, but because it would have helped me a lot in my own fucking, I had PTSD already at this time. So fuck. Um, anyway, uh, so just like weird stuff like that really stuck with me. And, and then also Nikki, this cousin would, I don't know if she was high, but she would tell me like, I remember being a kid and her being like, I have a secret. And she's like 20. <laughs> well, maybe not. I don't know. She's like 30 and I'm like 10. And uh, she's like, don't tell my mom that I'm smoking this. Da, da, da. Like, I don't, even, I don't even know what that is. I don't know what that is. Why would I tell your mom? I don't want to. Like, it was so. My sister and I talk about this now about how no one told us anything. Um. And it was a mistake. I wish they'd been honest. So anyway, um, also being hush hush about it, drugs, it, they don't make drugs. It doesn't make drugs go away. It doesn't make the problem go away. It makes it worse as with most, like everything. So anyways, the, I digress. Guys, I know this episode was long and very clip heavy. And I thank you for hanging out with me. I apologize 
for any glitches or anything there might have been. I'm kind of off my game today. I've been just working so hard, working crazy hours at my real job, at my, you know, profitable job. Um, and I just, I've been exhausted, but I really wanted to record, um, especially because I need to get my chops ready for my recording with malls tomorrow. So everybody tune in tomorrow. Um, also, please, if you haven't, or even if you have, I don't care, go, go leave another one, a five-star review, not just a rating, please, a review of the show, and I will send you free merch. Go ask. There are people who have gotten the free merch, and they're loving it. Um, I've gotten compliments on the magnet. I got a magnet. I got a flexible wine glass with the Coast to Coast Cocktails logo on it. I got stickers. I have some candles I could send you that are wine and wine and crime. <laughs> That's not my podcast that are Coast to Coast Cocktails <laughs> themed. Um, and I'm also thinking of making some other merch. Um, tell me what you think if you want. Would you like, would you rather a shirt with some sort of logo or saying on it or a mask or um my other thing is like you know those hotel key things i'm putting i'm making a shape like any of you can see me they're like old school hotel key um tags that are popular for merch which i enjoy i have two of them in my car i have one for jenny lewis my one of my favorite singers and um and musical artists and i have one for wine and crime <laughs> Which is why I just accidentally almost called myself wine and crime, which is uh, a crime. <laughs> anyway, um, let me know. What do you want to see? What do you want to receive? What, what would tickle your fancy? Also, the other news I want to just tease. We're going to do a real announcement. But when we come out with jo our Josie and the Pussycats first episode, um, we're also launching a Coast to Coast Cocktails Patreon in tandem with that. So please stay tuned for news on that. Um, we have a lot of bonus stuff lined up for you, like, like legit, like a whole other show and everything, um, with Matilda. So if you like Matilda, you're definitely going to want to hop over to Coast to Coast Cocktails and you're definitely going to want to sign up for our Patreon when it starts in June, because you're going to get a whole new show called Matilda's Mind. So among other things, uh, early access to, you know, I have to chop up those episodes. You'll get the full thing when other people only get half and you'll get, you know, extra bonus content as well as just discounts on merch, all, all, all shout outs, all the fun stuff. It's going to be a party. So keep it on your minds. Uh, June, we are going to launch June 1st. We are launching a Coast to Coast Cocktails Patreon. And that's all I have to say. I think, I hope, maybe not, but I'm going to stop so I don't have to say more and you don't have to listen to it. All right. Thank you, everybody. I love you so much. Bye. Floating on the wind until I find you.